Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Last week, I told you that I would be continuing with Dorset Cereal's Breakfast on the Sew Challenge, and I'm super happy to say that I have been able to keep up with this commitment. Dorset Cereal's challenged me to take one morning a week to have a breakfast that I can really indulge in. I've truly prioritized keeping this in my weekly routine and can feel the benefits to my sense of calm. Remember, it is okay to put yourself first and make that time for yourself. And if you're struggling to find the time, try booking it into your calendar as a date with yourself. I have definitely found that this has helped me. Breakfast on the Slow has been a game changer for me, particularly as work and social events ramp up because it gives me that space in the morning to just relax and regroup before the day really starts. It's also proven to me yet again that I am definitely a morning person. I love lighting my favorite candle, sitting down with the honey granola, which is so delicious and Moorish. I pair it with some Greek yogurt and a little bit of honey and it's just my perfect breakfast. I think after my extensive taste testing during this challenge, the honey granola has got to be my favorite. A slow, calm morning at least once a week has become really a key part of my weekly routine and definitely something I'll be continuing. If you've enjoyed your breakfast on the slow as much as I have and are feeling inspired, then head over to my Instagram to enter the competition to win a breakfast on the slow hamper, which looks amazing and has everything you need to start the day with Dorset cereals. You can visit dorsetcereals.co.uk to find out more about Breakfast on the Slow, where you can discover delicious recipes and tips on how to start the day at a slower pace. So I am so excited to be joined by one of my absolute dream guests for today's podcast. I am chatting to broadcaster, radio host, podcaster, mother, and all-round incredible human being, Fern Cotton, whose career has spanned the past two decades where she's done everything from being a regular face on TV, presenting programs such as Smile, which I used to love, and Top of the Pops, to creating her Happy Place podcast, an empire which continues to evolve and grow as a platform for self-care and well being. Fern, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Oh, Alice, that's so cute that you used to watch Smile. I used to love Smile. That was like one of my favourite programmes. Oh, yeah. it was very sweet, that show. I <laughs> loved working on that. How are you doing today? 
I am really well. Very good. Happy. Feeling grateful. I'm all good. Good. And I guess we find ourselves sort of chatting after what has been and I, and I guess continues to be an extraordinary and unprecedented time in our lives. How have you found yourself sort of navigating the past year? And do you have sort of any reflections that you're taking forwards or positive learnings that you're taking from everything we've gone through? Yes. So it's been like for most people, uh, sort of huge and bizarre. And at times you just feel like you're in some kind of weird film. And there have been some amazing bits that I feel very grateful for. And then obviously just some more challenging bits, you know, homeschooling for such a huge amount of time, Mm. whilst also very luckily working throughout because a lot of people, my husband and brother included, have not been able to work at all for the whole year, which has been awful. But I've very luckily been able to continue working. So juggling that has at times felt impossible. And I think that's been sort of more mentally challenging than anything because you end up at the end of the day feeling like, you know, you failed at all of it because it was just too much to, to deal with. And I don't think homeschooling is particularly realistic for for anyone really so that was tough but obviously there's people who have had far tougher things to get through so I've also been trying to just sort of concentrate on feeling grateful and not getting too lost in the craziness of it and just to sort of check in with the people that I personally know and love as much as I can and to try and then be as helpful as I can in a broader sense with the work that I'm doing so it's been motivating as well because Mm. there's been or need for looking at how we might try and find some peace within all this craziness. And the learnings that I'll take forward, I think, is just a sense of clarity that, you know, before I always felt such a pressure that I had to go to, you know, very nice things like birthday parties or big events or whatever, but I felt quite a lot of discomfort sometimes going to these things and would feel sort of stressed about them and anxious when I was there and sort of planning my exit route on arrival. And um, I've just realized that I don't have to put myself through that because I haven't been to anything in the last 12 months and I'm fine and I'm really happy. And I think if there are moments where I feel uncomfortable about going to a work event, I just won't go. And if it's a birthday, you know, obviously if that person's super close, I'll I'll go and I'll have a great time. But if it's something I don't have to go to, I'm, I'd rather sort of say to someone, can I take you for a, a coffee instead and have our own sort of smaller celebration? And, and also, you know, it's my 40th this year. And for years I've thought, oh my God, what am I going to do for my 40th? And this year I've gone, I don't really want to do a massive thing. I don't think that would be what I genuinely want to do. I think I just want to have something really small and peaceful and meaningful, but not big and leery. So I've just got more clarity about what I want and what I don't want. I'm so with you on the kind of having clarity about where you invest your energy. And it's something I've been talking about a lot over the last couple of weeks is as I move forwards, you know, being much more choosy about who and what I invest my energy into, because I feel like my reserves have sort of been taken up by the past year. And and also we've got used to doing maybe a little bit less in the day or having that downtime in the evening that you might not necessarily have had. And I kind of don't want to lose that. I'm really enjoying, no. that, you know, me time and, and actually discuss as well. And I think you've spoken about this too, but just being a little bit of an introvert where I oh, never I'm a huge realized introvert. I was. Yeah. No, I'm a huge introvert. I've sort of always known it about myself, but my job often contradicts that notion. But I I really am. And I think I just want to honor that more. And I've worked exclusively from home for the last 12 months. And for some of my mates, they found it excruciating. Like I was talking to my mate this morning, Claire, 
And she's found it so difficult working from home. Whereas I really thrive being at home. I'm really comfortable. I let my guard down more, which helps with the work that I'm doing. And I'm much more efficient with my time. So at the moment, I'm in a really nice rhythm of getting up, getting the kids to school, coming back, working until they come back from school. And then once they're in bed, I go back to working again until I go to bed. And mm-hmm. I'm really happy doing that. Like I love my job and I'm, I get a kick out of doing it. So I'm not thinking, oh my God, I wish I had an evening so I could go to the pub or whatever. I'm happily researching subjects or writing or whatever I'm doing. And I'm just using my time so much more efficiently rather than traveling into London or moving from meeting to meeting. Then I've got more free time at the weekends or half term to really be with my family, just go outside and be in the park with the kids and do stuff I really want to do. So it's actually... For me, I've, I've created more efficiency around what I can get done and, and how and when and then time with my kids. I feel very, very fortunate to be in that position. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think I've definitely felt the same, that it's just given me that more kind of clear idea of, of what I want to go to. And, and also like knowing that, yeah, if you don't, you, where, where can you invest that energy and how can you make the most out of your day? Totally. Now, I wanted to ask you about the subject of mental health. It's something that you really come to be a huge advocate for and, and talking about our mental health and our well-being in, in a much more honest and vulnerable way. But I wanted to know what you think was the catalyst for you really speaking out about your own experiences and what really propelled you to then go on to create the platforms and the work that you now do. Well, the latter part was totally accidental. Like I did not have a plan that I would be doing any of this. It's a surprise to me as much as it is everybody else. You know, (laughs) I didn't sit there going, oh, then I'm going to create this whole thing with happy play. Like I had no clue, but I think there probably was a pivotal moment in a sense where I knew what I was doing wasn't working. And, you know, if you think before I was doing all of this for years and years, I was really putting myself out there. I was sort of exposed every day to a lot of people, whether it was doing my radio show every day or doing big TV shows and at one point having paps for me everywhere, which I found excruciating. And it was all day, every day. And I thought, oh, this is just what happens when you do my job. And I realized that actually a lot of that didn't make me feel good. And I had to really drop my ego to be able to move away from some of that stuff because of course other people's perception can be oh you're not doing much these days or why aren't you on tv anymore or and it's just I had to really let go of all that and not worry and think what makes me feel really good and it is stuff that is probably more intimate and feels much safer to me and is you know based around just who I am rather than me trying to be what people wanted me to be. So the first sort of revelation was realizing that some of that stuff wasn't working for me. As fun as a lot of it was, you know, I'm massively grateful for all of it, but it, I got to a point where it wasn't working for me. And that's, I guess, when I got to the point of wanting to write a book, and that was the sort of conception of the book Happy, which was terrifying because I was talking about me for the first time and the real me rather than the me on the radio enthusing about bands and music and all the stuff that I naturally love but it was much more about what am I going through and what could I offer people with my own truth and experience and that was really scary but it sort of weirdly opened this can and and then all this other stuff kind of came from it and unfurled and um and I'm really glad because I now have this 
really nice dialogue going on with my audience that perhaps I didn't have before because it's quite one-sided when you're doing a TV show or something like that because you're just talking about stuff. Whereas this now feels like using social media or some of the other projects we've been working on. It's much more of a sort of back and forth dialogue with the people that are listening to me or reading my books or whatever. And, And that feels really special, but selfishly for me also much safer. I feel much safer in this environment than I did before. I felt really unsafe and really rattled being that exposed every day. So I've just found comfort in it. It's so interesting that you say that because one of the things that I find really hard and and actually, I guess, coming from a musical theatre background, similar to you in some ways in that you almost have like a persona that you put on when you're on camera or on stage or presenting or doing the radio that's like the firm that does TV. And the thing that I found difficult was then when you sort of lose that and when I stepped away from theatre and then it was just me and this is what I do and, and you you show those levels of vulnerability and you kind of peel back the layers and say, well, this is the real me and, and you kind of are your brand and you try and be as authentic and honest as, as you can be as, as the person that you then really believe you are. But along with that, and as you said earlier, there is a lot of scariness that comes from being like, well, this is me and, you know, warts and all kind of thing. And, and I think that's sometimes what I find really interesting about your journey is actually what you've done in some ways might seem more scary. You know, it might be in some ways easier to be putting on a face and a smile and being like, Oh no, I find it the opposite. I, I feel terrified now if I have to put myself in the position of being like, the me that used to be on TV talking about stuff. Like I almost don't know how to do it anymore. I've sort of forgotten mm. like, how do I do that version of me again? Whereas I was so practiced at it before because I did it from the age of 15 onwards. And yeah. then initially I thought it'd be more scary just being me because then there's more room for judgment or people to make a comment about the real you. But actually I found great comfort in that because even in that dynamic where someone might judge you for being the real you, that's interesting. I can sit there and unpick it and go, oh, right, so what's happening there? Why is that person judging me? What's going on with them? Mm. Okay, that's a, that's something to explore in my work. That's something to talk about. So it makes it much less personal almost because when you're being like the person on TV, if someone's awful to you, you think, oh, my God, I've done the job badly. I'm doing the job badly. But now if someone's mean to me, I think, oh, that's so interesting because I'm just being me. I can't be anything else. I can't do better at being me. I'm just being me. And that will vary each day. So if someone's having a pop at me, it's going to say much more about them and their mental state than mine. And that's interesting more than sort of damaging or, or ego bruising. Yeah. And it's so amazing that you, you've stepped into that light and you have really found yourself because it does look from an outsider's perspective as though you are thriving. And I love what you said earlier about, in a way, having to step away from the ego of being papped or being in the news all the time or being on the latest telly show, because there must be some level of excitement that comes along with that. And people sort of do go, oh, why are you stepping away from that? Like, surely that's what everyone wants. But mm. actually what you've done is is to find your authentic voice and to really carve a path for yourself that feels the best one for you. And I think it's so admirable the way that you've done that but actually I just wanted to take you back you you mentioned earlier that you started your career at 15 which you know I didn't know much about your early years when I was reading up about that I just thought god that is so young fun Mm, (laughs) and I'm sure that the environment that you were working in was so different to one that you know presenter might go into now how did you find yourself navigating those early years and and like your life just changing so dramatically as well at that age Well, you know, there was a whole heap of naivety involved. You know, I was so excited. I came from a very regular working class suburban background. So everything about 
all of it was exciting. Like the fact that someone used to pick me up in a car to take me to work and I used to mm-hmm. sort of panic about it. Like, oh my God, is it, do I, do I speak to them? Do I, do I offer to pay them? Like, how does this work? Because it was all just so alien to me. I was a school kid. I didn't get it. And if the cab turned up early, I would quickly rush and race out because I didn't want it to sit there waiting. You know, I just, the whole thing felt completely unnatural. So it was exciting and amazing. Like all of it was just like a dream come true as a kid. And I was so fortunate that the group that were responsible for hiring me for that first job, Disney Club, were the most amazing team of people. And the main producer, Maddie Darrell, is still a friend today and someone that I stay in touch with and massively respect and go to for advice on, on all sorts of things. And And Maddie and her team just sort of nurtured all of us kids that were on Disney Club to make sure that we did feel safe and okay. And more importantly, taught us the skill set that was needed for a job that I knew nothing about. I learned Mm. everything back in those early days through trial and error and being guided. And I had these amazing chaperones, Sue and Jerry, who would look after me and make sure I felt like I was at home when I was at work. It was a really gorgeous environment to grow up in. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity and also that there wasn't social media and all the awfulness that sort of comes with being in the public eye today because I could grow and make mistakes that would sort of go under the radar, which is how it should be in life anyway. Yeah, And that gave me the space to experiment and see where I wanted to end up. I, I think really until I got to my 20s, it was all just really exciting and just bizarre and cool and unusual. And then in my 20s, I think that's when Well, I certainly was trying to work out who I was then because my teen years had been all about discipline and hard work. You know, I had very little sort of childhood experience in my late teens. And then my 20s were all about figuring out who I was, trying to push boundaries. And I probably lost my way slightly in my 20s, whereas most people probably do in their teens. But I didn't, I had like a delayed reaction to it. So Mm. it was bizarre. Like the whole thing has been so, like looking back at my life has been so full on in ways and so weird. And now I've come back to a place sort of almost where I was when I was a kid, like peaceful again and mm. and just sort of enjoying the simple stuff. And, and that's quite a relief, really. Mm. Did you ever find yourself being affected by the press and, and that side of things? I'm guessing that that's... Uh, hugely. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have any of it as a kid I didn't they didn't they didn't bother me at all they didn't follow me they had no interest in me it wasn't until I got into my 20s where that felt very strange and very unnerving having sort of you know I remember when I was in my early 20s and of course if you're young you know you're even sort of more fodder like for the press so I'm too old now to be concerned with but Back then, you know, I'd be followed around the park on my run by someone and like by a grown man. And I just think this is so wrong that I'm in the middle of a park on my own, but there's a man following me with a camera. Like this feels so unnerving. But of course, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't know what to do, what you're meant to do in those situations. You know, that is, you know, I sort of dealt with that. Like, okay, no, no massive trauma there. Fine. But actually mm. I found and still do find, and this is why I, I'm not in that big limelighty place anymore. I find it deeply traumatic to be picked apart by the press. Mm. It's horrible and it feels like you're being publicly shamed. It's embarrassing. People make huge assumptions about stuff they know nothing about and then write it 
in fact in ink. It's awful. And I've hated every minute of that. There's not been a single moment that I've felt like it's been water off a duck's back. I've hated every minute of it and I find it deeply uncomfortable. And it's really shaped where I'm at today, which is trying to keep doing a job that I love, but to stay under the radar enough to not have to deal with that sort of stuff mm. so much. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I spoke about body image as well on an Instagram live a while ago, which I found really insightful and actually learned so much from you and your you know, ways that you approach that yourself. Do you feel like some of that knowledge and that experience has come from being an, under constant scrutiny, I guess, and having to develop a thicker skin and develop a, a better relationship with yourself. And I'm guessing as well to have to go through some pretty dark times with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, d- I don't have a thick skin at all. That's why I can't be in that anymore because I'm mm. not one of those people that goes, oh, you know, I don't care. This will blow over. I am deeply affected. I'm really sensitive. I have a thin skin. So same, same, that I haven't <laughs> managed to cultivate, unfortunately. But when it comes to body image, yeah, I think, you know, it was so strange because, as I said, you know, I was a school kid doing the normal thing at school. And then all of a sudden I was sort of sat next to these tiny, tiny pop stars who you know, was so minuscule and perfect looking and they had stylists and, you know, their hair was all perfect. And I just thought, God, how do you end up looking like that? And first of all, I was just really curious and felt like, well, that's so not me. I'm just a regular schoolgirl. Mm. And then I think I started to feel more deeply affected by it at sort of 19. And that's when I started to get a really bad relationship with my body and with food and Mm -hmm. felt very confused about all of it and felt like in some ways there was something wrong with what my body looked like or wrong with how I was approaching that subject. And I feel really regretful about a lot of that because of course I was just like everybody, perfect as we come, perfect Mm -hmm. as we are. But I I just didn't get what was going on. It was just deeply confusing time. So that's when I started to really go off piste with feeling all right about myself, my body and and how I would treat myself, really. There was a lot of, sort of self-loathing around that time. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Mm. It's one of those things that I think, you know, the age that you were just talking about there, that 19 sort of 20 age, I can absolutely resonate with with the same feeling of just being so like uncomfortable in my my body. And so much of that coming from exterior stuff like the the press or the media. I mean, not me being in the press, but reading magazines and seeing all these perfect images of people. And I think that that really was for me, one of the things that I started to do was, well, I don't look like them and I don't look like that. So there must be something wrong with me. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest things that, and I know you've got kids now that I want to try and instill if I ever have children is, is to sort of really make sure that absolutely, as you say, like we are all made to be different and unique and special in the way that we are. And, and no one really was having that conversation when I was growing up. So it was very much like, you know, we exercise to lose weight and there's all these diet books and there's this and there's that. And these are the people that you're supposed to want to look like. And Mm. when you look back, it's like, oh, no wonder so many of us grew up with such disordered relationships with food and exercise and our bodies. It's mind blowing. But I think that for you, for example, being under the spotlight in in an even more intense way than, than anyone is just, it must've been so challenging. Do you feel at a point now where you are sort of, 
finding peace with yourself. Like you've mentioned peace a couple of times, and I think it's such an interesting word because it's it's like one of those elusive words I think a lot of people strive for, but don't maybe know exactly what that looks like for them. But do yeah. you feel that you're sort of finding that and 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 finding your way to that? Yeah, definitely more so with age and experience. And it will happen at different times for everybody. But I don't think it's sort of a full spectrum piece because there are parts of life that I feel more peace with than others. So, you know, Mm. for instance, if you isolate body image, I do feel more peaceful around that because I know at this point in my life what works for me, which is going to bed early, eating the same sort of thing every day, which is a sort of overly used term, but balanced diet and look at food. And I like to move my body every day. And that's really important to me. And, you know, I've got all the stuff that happens after having babies with postnatal skin and bulgy bits and all that stuff. And I just sort of don't care. I really feel so grateful that I can get out of bed and move my body. I don't take that for granted ever. Mm. And I just think you've got to get to that sort of place where you go, right, if I'm fortunate enough to have a body that allows me to walk or stretch or whatever, then I've got to really honour that big time rather than go, oh, I wish I had a bum, like blah, blah. I wish I had thighs, like whoever. And it's like, oh God, it's so relevant. And and most of that is media driven or industry driven. It all mm. roots back to money. So it's not real. Like that's what we have to remember. And I had chat with Megan Jane Crabb about that, that I found very game changing that it, when you realize the root of most of these things isn't a new body ideal that's come out of the blue, it roots back to money in some way, whether it's press sales or it's the sort of sale of one type of image to sell anything clothing diet products food whatever it might be Mm. it's got nothing to do with anything but money and then you go oh wow that's empowering I don't have to buy into that and then you make up your own rules and luckily I think we've got a lot more diversity today available to look at if you so choose to follow wisely people on Instagram who have a very different outlook on body image and body love and self-acceptance that we perhaps didn't have I mean there's still huge problems and there's still huge amount of filtering and and also certain body ideals that are new newer to the ones that I was seeing back in the sort of late 90s but they still exist and there are still big problems around this for men and women but I think probably still the majority of those problems sit with women we've still got a lot more work to do but at least there are more options for us to imbibe these days yeah and I also sort of I just started to question like who am I doing this for like who do I get out of bed and go to the gym for this is you know five six years ago but it's all just for the male gaze in a way like we have this idea that we need to look good you know when I was growing up it was like the boys at school make a list of who are the hot girls you know it's all Mm. this kind of this such toxic stuff and you sort of when you break it down you think who is this for like is it for me or is it for everyone else and the way that they look at me because actually when you break it down people are really uninterested in the way they look in in the way that other people look do you know what I mean I think that I was doing it for women a lot of the time I think I had such an insecurity that I wasn't enough or that I was too weird or that I wasn't likable and I still sometimes can dip into that if I'm having a bad day And for some reason, I equated my outside image 
with them perhaps accepting me more. You know, not good friends from school, but just people that I was meeting at work or the new circles I was moving in. Mm. I think I was doing it to be uh, sort of accepted in a way. And that's very, very strange to sort of unpick because it's not something that I've put too much focus on. But I do think it was sometimes more to do with the female gaze and what, and if I was in the gang, if I was cool enough or, I don't know, it was really strange. And I think because we see so much imagery of women on magazines looking happy and looking a certain way, having a certain body shape, we also subliminally think, oh, maybe I will feel that free, as free as they look, if I look like that, which is an equation that doesn't add up, as we all know. Mm. But it's really subliminal messaging that we you know, don't protest properly. We just go, well, yeah, I'm having that. I'll take that. I'm going to go down that route. And it leads you to nowhere. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned earlier that exercise is a component of what makes you feel good. And this podcast obviously centers around strength. So I wanted to ask you what your relationship with exercise has been across your life and what place you're at now with it and what you enjoy. Well, I was really lucky in the sense that I have always had it in my life. So I danced from the age of five. I actually wanted to be a dancer. That was the plan. And then something went drastically wrong there. And I ended up doing all this stuff, but that was, I wanted to be like a backing dancer on top of the pops or a touring dancer or something like dance was everything to me. I went to a local dance school, like in a church hall, but I went literally every day after school, I was completely obsessed and it made me just feel so alive and it was a real escape for me. I just adored it. Mm. And then I guess in my mid-teens, I started going to the gym because I was working at that point. I couldn't always make the dance classes. So the gym felt like something I had a bit more autonomy over. But I didn't ever really love the gym. And I went all through my late teens, all through my 20s, I thought that was what you did. And I mean, for some people, that is it. But I found it so boring and so uninspiring. I had to listen to some seriously good music to sort of get myself moving in there. And then in my late 20s, I discovered yoga. And that's when I started experimenting with that. I did not get it straight away. It felt really alien because a lot of it contradicts the sort of movements that you might do in ballet or contemporary. So I had to really retrain my brain and how parts of my body moved. And that felt really uncomfortable. And also, I thought it was something you had to get good at. I was like, why can all these people do this stuff and I can't do it? And I'm now 10 years down the line and I'm at a place where my exercise today is I either go for a run or a walk or do yoga. And there's very little else in there. Sometimes I'll do like a cardio workout, but my preferred is running, walking, and then yoga. So today I did yoga, did 40 minute yoga when the kids were having their brekkie. And I've now got to a place where through just total practice and doing it as regularly as I can, I can do some of the trickier moves and my body is stronger than it's ever been, way more so than when I used to go to the gym. But I don't really care. I don't really have those benchmarks anymore. Like I've got to be able to do a handstand. Like I can't do a handstand. I find it so impossible. (laughs) But it's now about how I feel in that moment. Like there are some stretches where I reach this point where I literally can't stretch my body out anymore. And it feels so blissful, married with breathing correctly, which is such a huge part of it and taking these gorgeous inhalations and exhalations and just feeling really calm in it. Like that's what I'm looking for at the end of it. Not like, oh my God, let me quickly check if my six packs materializing. No, like 
God, I feel so much better and just ready to go on with my day and breathe through it and not rush through it. So I sort of understand it now, whereas I really didn't get it before. I just thought I had to get good at it on an outside level of what it looked like. When I tried yoga for the first time, I was the most competitive person in the room. So I would go to a class and I'd be looking at everyone else and be like, my, her leg's higher than mine. I need to yeah. make sure I get my leg higher. And yeah. I, I would be so distracted because that competitive level of being in a dance class or being in an audition and doing the same thing almost was embedded in me. So when I went mm. to yoga, it was like that was just an extension of that. And now when I do yoga, I actually don't go to classes. And I think you're the same. You do it from home. Yeah, but I do. I, love doing it from home. I love doing it in my own space. And as you said, for me, the breath is almost what drives the entire movement. It's not about how far your leg can go or how low you can get in a position. It's like, oh, what will my breath and my body allow me to do today? And that place might be different every time I visit it. There's no pressure to hit a position and suddenly be like, da-da, you know, like the Instagram poses that we see. And I think that's where, you know, Instagram can be, you know, great in some ways and not so great in others. And I know that Shona Virtue is a great yogi who I follow who talks about this a lot, but this kind of Instagram versus reality when it comes to yoga that, you know, what we see are the highlights of someone hitting like a perfect pose with their leg above their head or whatever. But in reality, what yoga was created for was exactly as you described, finding that stillness, finding a connection with breath and body and being able to work into that wherever you are on that day and depending where you are on that day. Mm, And also the great thing about yoga as well is that some of the most simple looking things that to look at you'd go, you're barely doing anything, requires so much focus, discipline, strength, Mm. all sort of manner of things that have to come together in that moment for something that looks really unimpressive, but can be so like even just sort of being on all fours and just then lifting your knees an inch off the floor. That looks so unimpressive. Like, well, you're not doing anything, but the core required, the focus, the concentration on your breathing, the mindset, like that's the great thing about it. So as fun as it is to sort of put things on Instagram, which I do of like more complex poses or things that, you know, look sort of fun and challenging, Often I find the ones that look like so bog standard are so challenging to me. And I guess what it does is it brings up the stuff I need to deal with. Like, oh my God, I've realized I feel so impatient in this moment. I feel so impatient that I want to get to the next move. And that's something I've got to look at is my impatience in life. So Mm. it's really seeing what feelings come up in those moments where something is really challenging, even if it is trying to do something that is more complex. What is that bringing up? Oh, it's bringing up your competitive side. How does that mirror to your actual life? You know, there's so many comparisons that you can draw that are helpful, I think. Yeah. It just makes the whole process much bigger rather than it being just you're doing exercise. Yeah. And I guess for you, going from, like you said, a a gym relationship where the sole purpose was, I think I have to do this, so I'm going to do this, which a lot of people, you know, lots of my clients and and people that I work with, they have this mindset with exercise that they know it's something that they have to do, but they punish themselves by putting themselves through workouts that they don't necessarily enjoy. Mm. How did you find yourself sort of bringing yourself back from exercise has to be, I guess, a bit of a punishment or it has to be hard to what you've done, which is embody absolutely my number one rule when it comes to exercise, which is just finding something that you enjoy. How did you sort of, I guess, pull it back and be comfortable in the fact that, okay, it might not be the most intense exercise that you could do, but this is what works for you and this is the best thing for your body? 
I think I got really bored of being horrible to myself across <laughs> life in general, like yeah. in every sense, not just with exercise, but with everything, like feeling like I had to punish myself with all of it, you know, and, I, and I'm still, I haven't nailed this one. I still do. I still fall into the trap of trying to work as hard as I can before the day ends because I just need to prove that I deserve this opportunity or, or whatever it is. You know, I can still mm. fall into that mindset quite easily. But I think when it comes to exercise, you start to realize maybe also with age that life's really short and I don't want to have moments that I'm not enjoying or don't have a purpose or you're doing because someone else has told you to do it. And I've had to do that across my whole career and also in my life just to make sure that I feel okay. So I think I just got bored of being horrible to myself really. And and I still, as I said, I still am. I'm not, you know, it's all work in progress. I'm not like lovely to myself all the time, but I endeavor at least to do stuff that I know works on that day. And sometimes it will be a really hardcore workout because I've got loads of energy or I'm, if I'm angry about something, then I need to do like a hit class and like get it out, move that anger on. Mm. Like today, well, first of all, I fell out of the loft and I've really damaged my toe like an <gasps> idiot. So I can't run. So yoga and doing something that's gentle and just kind to myself is all I can do and that that's fine I'm not going to worry about that too much like I might have before Mm. you mentioned that obviously exercise is one component of I guess all of the things in your toolbox that help you to stay physically and mentally well what are some of those other things that you really lean on and I guess as well being a busy mom and a busy businesswoman carving your your happy place empire like how do you carve out time for yourself and how do you sort of place that focus on self-care which you know is going to help you when you are really busy yeah well I'm still quite bad at self-care so a lot of the time my husband goes right stop you are spiraling out of control go and have a bath, just stop working now or go to bed early. Like he'll often be my red light and say, stop, you have to stop yeah. now. So that's that's one thing. But I think other than that, again, through sort of experience and just stuff that I've personally been through, I've realized that boundaries have to be in place for me to feel like I can do everything that I want to do. So that is boundaries with how I work. And at the moment, I'm really enjoying working from home and I don't want that to change. So Mm. where I can moving forward, I want to continue working in this way. And then sometimes it's with people around me, you know, I can't go to that thing they've asked me to go to, or I can't give them what they're asking me to do. And I'm still their mate and I still love them, but it's just not something I can do right now because my priorities are my family and my job that is also my hobby because I love it. So it covers two areas of life, like passion and also my job. So I'm just trying to be a bit more boundaried and sort of telling people what the boundaries are early on because I didn't before. I got myself into loads of trouble with saying yes to things and then really resenting it or giving people way too much and then feeling like I was being walked over. So it's just now about setting those boundaries and boundaries for myself. Like I know I can't stay up late. I know that I can't at the moment do stuff like live TV or live radio because I'm doing lots of therapy and stuff around the past. And it's just, I'm not ready for all that yet. Mm. So for me, it's really about knowing my own limits and putting boundaries in place that complement them so that the people around me understand where I'm at and I'll equally have respect for their boundaries 
and I won't spiral off into being overwhelmed. I mean, I still do, that does still happen, but my mission is to continue with that in mind to really try and establish better boundaries. Yeah. Obviously this podcast centers around strength. And I think one of the biggest themes that I've kind of got from you today is, is really like you exploring and creating a sense of self and creating a sense of identity that goes against what maybe people thought you might do, but is the right one for you. And I think that's a message that probably so many people listening will be able to resonate with is, you know, sometimes we don't go down the path we thought we were going to, or sometimes the things that we thought we were going to be good for us aren't. But actually that in carving a new path or in forming a new identity and within that, like you mentioned, setting boundaries, practicing forms of healing that get us to a place of hopefully peace is what we're all aiming for. And I think it's just so nice to hear, you know, the way that you've gone about doing that. And I think that was one of the biggest things that I've picked up is is just that finding that strength of self. And I guess you and everything you do online now is really sharing little bits of how you've got to the place that you have. Yeah, I think also... What I'm trying to do is not be too wedded to one single idea of who I think I am or what my sense of self is, because I think for all of us, it just keeps changing. Mm. So I don't even want to feel too wedded to the idea of, well, this is just who I am forever, because at the moment, you know, I am enjoying a greater sense of peace and I am enjoying doing things in this way that feel right to me. But that might not be the case in 10 years. I might really want to switch it all up again. So I think it goes even beyond looking at what others' expectations are of me. I'm trying to not worry too much about my own expectations that I have of myself. And I'm just trying to go with things and be open-minded, I guess. And, Mm. you know, that we've got this really warped sense of once we're one thing, we've got to stay like it. Like, you know, when I moved over to do this sort of work, I think people were a bit confused at first. I mean, I was, I didn't know what was going on. I was just going naturally with the flow. But I mean, it's silly. We're we're all changing every single day. We're learning, we're growing. Hopefully, hopefully we're making tons of mistakes and learning from them. That's the whole point. And we've got this idea that no one's allowed to make a mistake anymore. They're cancelled if they make a mistake. So therefore people can't grow and people can't change. And it's really toxic. And I think we all need to be open-minded so that we go with what feels right in the moment rather than what is expected of us or what the limitations are that we put upon ourselves. So I'm just trying to be really open-minded with all of it and go with the flow like, oh, wow, I'm being pulled over in this direction. This feels really new and a bit weird, maybe a bit scary, but let's just see what happens. And we need to give ourselves that space and therefore others as well. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the future, do you have like a five-year plan? Do you know what's coming up? And are you someone that needs to have that focus so that you can be, I guess, really clear in what you're trying to achieve? Or are you a bit more intuitive with the way that you work? No, I think I'd be so bored if I had a five-year plan because all I'd be doing is going, (laughs) (laughs) oh, great, we did that. And then let's do the next bit. So I haven't got a clue. I mean, within the Happy Place team, We're probably always working about one year ahead because a lot of projects require that amount of work to even get them off the ground. Hmm. Like with the book publishing that we're doing now, I just had a meeting about the books that we've got coming up and some of them are planned for 2023. So there are some things that do require that timeframe, but I want to be really open-minded and to also be reactive to what people are saying and talking about and wanting so that hopefully I can deliver stuff that's useful. So 
no, I want to just see what happens. I think if I had a plan and was like, right, in five years, I want to be here. And then I got there. I think I'd feel really numb. Like, oh, I've got there. Well, now what? Like, is yeah. that it? Like uh, my life ended after that five-year plan? Like what's after that? Like I don't want to have this one goal that then like, oh, then I'll be relieved that I've reached the goal. I want there to constantly be new goals and challenges and things to work towards. And because also we've got this weird sense that happiness lives in the future that, oh, once I've done that or got the perfect partner or this person comes into my life or I've interviewed this person or my business is at this point, then I'll be happy. And it's like, well, so you're not going to let yourself be happy before then because you Mm. could be happy in five minutes time. You just don't know about it. So I think if we limit ourselves that the only route for happiness is in the future, we'll only feel let down. So I think it's so much more exciting to go, well, look, happiness is going to come and go. We know that's what happens. It, it could be at any point and you could get all of your dream things ticked off the list and still be absolutely miserable. So I think it's so much better to look at what you know is inside you already, the good bits and the bad bits, and try and figure that stuff out and not go too far ahead of where you're at now. I literally have goosebumps when you're talking and that was that was so, so inspiring. I was like, <laughs> yes, fun, yes. Because <laughs> that's, that's what, what I've had to do. You know, like I started out on this career and was like, what the hell am I doing? What is going on? And I've never had a plan and I've always been very intuitive with it. And you're absolutely right. There are moments of my career where I've had people say to me, and I'm sure you've had this too, oh my God, you're smashing it. You're doing amazing. And I've been totally miserable and mm-hmm. just felt awful. And it's so funny how we think these sort of material things or tick boxes on our life list that we need to do are the things that get us to happiness. And, you know, sometimes like the less we have, the happier we are. And I absolutely believe that happiness is one of these weird subjects that there's so much focus on around at the moment. And we're obsessed with like how to be happy and what we have to do to be happy. Yeah. Look, there's no guarantees. Yeah. There are no guarantees at all. Exactly. You have, you know, there is no promise that at the end of whatever it is, there's happiness. Mm. But the guarantee that is in place is that if you are willing to look around you at what's going on and the love that exists and the people that are in your life or the things you know you're grateful for, there's Mm. a guarantee with that that you Mm. will feel good. Yeah, completely. Oh, what a nice note to end on. I have one question left for you. That is, seeing as you are so wonderful with all things well-being, what is one thing that everyone listening today can do for free to better support their mental well-being? Okay, this is not my advice. I cannot take any credit for this whatsoever, <laughs> but it's something that I focus on a lot of the time. And it's advice that comes from the author Rhonda Byrne, who wrote the secret, which was a mm-hmm. book that changed my life and many other people's lives. And I've been, I've been lucky enough to interview her a couple of times this last sort of few months. And on both occasions, she has placed great emphasis on not believing our negative thoughts. So she quite literally says any negative thought that comes in your head is a lie. Not some of them, all of them. Every single negative thought. If you have a benevolent thought about yourself, you know, I'm a great person, I'm full of love, I'm wonderful, I'm capable, all that stuff, that's all true. All of that is 100% true. Any narrative that comes in, I'm a bad person, I'm a shipmate, I shouldn't have done that, that mistakes were in my life, they're all a lie. So 
it's simple yet utterly profound and not easy to do. Mm-hmm. But if we all try and really monitor the thoughts in our head and when a bad thought comes in, that's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. Just check yourself as to whether you truly believe that thought or not. Like, is that true? Am I a bad person or am I just a human living my life, going through it, making mistakes and then not making mistakes? You know, like just monitor your thoughts because it's so impactful. Mm. It's not a method of exercise. It's not a way to eat. It's nothing to do with that, but it will change your mindset, if you just even do it for one day, just go, oh God, what's that thought in my head about? Do I believe that? What's that thought in my head? You know, like you might go, I was talking to a friend yesterday who, you know, was sort of struggling with this belief that she was unlovable and that kept coming into her day in so many ways. And it's like, if that's your thing, stop and go, I'm having that thought again. Is that true? Am I unlovable? Does everyone around me dislike me? No, it's all a lie. And I think checking your thoughts and monitoring them is something that we just don't do. There's no governance over them. We just let all these thoughts come in and we believe all of them. So from Rhonda to you, I'm merely the conduit of this bit of advice. Check (laughs) your thoughts, work out if you believe them or not. And if you don't, ignore them. That is a brilliant bit of advice. I'm going to do that today. I definitely need it right now. Thank you so, so much, Fern, for um, being a guest on this podcast. I'm so grateful and you've been amazing. So thank you for your time and have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Alice. you so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed that episode i have a little request for you all if it's not too much to ask it really really helps if you rate review and subscribe to the podcast as it means that others can find it and hopefully gain from it too we have a new episode dropping every week so stay tuned and thanks for listening Thanks so much to the delicious and brilliant Dorset Cereals for sponsoring this episode of Give Me Strength. Visit www.dorsetcereals.co.uk to find out more about Breakfast on the Slow, discover delicious recipes and find tips on how to start the day at a slower pace.